Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash XAA. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS. Welcome to this Peer Voice Talks on Obesity in Adolescents. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Luis Alberto Moreno and Professor Aaron Kelly. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Luis Moreno. I am professor at the University of Zaragoza in Spain. Welcome to this activity on obesity in adolescent population. In order to understand a condition like obesity, it is important to identify the critical periods in their development. Here, from conception until the end of adolescence, there are three critical periods in which genetic, behavioral and socioeconomic, socioeconomic factors are interacting uh, and the final uh, manifestation will be obesity in adolescence. For the frequency of the condition, we had the opportunity of performing a systematic review in nationally representative samples in different uh, countries and we observe in adolescents that the prevalences range from 3.5% in females aged 14 to 18 years till 9.7% in males aged 10 to 14 years. For the prevalence of severe extreme obesity in children and adolescents there are also some studies showing a prevalence in those studies, including adolescents, ranging from around 2% till 6%. For the trends, we have the opportunity to access the data from the European Childhood Obesity Surveillance Initiative, the COSI study, first in boys, showing the trends from 2007-2008 till 2015-2017, and it was observed that those countries decreasing the prevalence were those with the highest prevalences at the beginning of the surveys. And these countries were Portugal, Slovenia, Italy, Greece, Spain, Ireland. At the opposite, those showing an increase in the prevalence were those with the lowest prevalences of overweight and obesity, like Lithuania, Hungary, Bulgaria, Czechia, Norway, Latvia, and North Macedonia. A similar picture was observed in girls with a decrease in the prevalence mainly in those countries with high prevalence of overweight and obesity like Ireland, Greece, Portugal, Italy, Slovenia and Spain and at the opposite uh, North Macedonia, Lithuania, Latvia, Bulgaria, Norway, Hungary and Czechia those countries with the lowest prevalences showed the highest increases from 2007-2008 till 2015-2017. It is important to have also a model to try to understand how the determinants of obesity are interacting to deal with the appearance of the condition and the metabolic complications of obesity that appear in adolescence. And these include dietary factors, dietary habits, low levels of physical activity, and sedentary behaviors. Uh, 
We were happy to have access also to a recent study, including close to 300,000 adolescents from 89 low- and middle-income to high-income countries worldwide. And in this study, it was observed that obesity was associated with fast food intake, a high level of carbonated soft drinks consumption, a low level of physical activity, a high level of sedentary behaviors, and also adolescents who consume vegetables at least two times per day had a 17% lower risk of having obesity than those who did not consume vegetables per day. For the mechanisms of obesity and also the long-term consequences of obesity, we already addressed the main risk factors, genetic factors, the environment, dietary and eating habits, lifestyle factors, but there are already some manifestations that appear during childhood and adolescence, like, for example, hypertension, dyslipidemia, inflammation, altered microbiota composition and diversity, and elevated transaminases. And all these factors together with obesity are responsible for the long-term consequences, including, for example, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and other like different types of cancer and asthma and arthritis. It is important to consider the degree of obesity. And in this regard, in this study, it was observed that those adolescents having the highest um, uh, composition of body fat had also high levels of waist circumference, high levels of systolic blood pressure, and high fasting insulin concentrations. In terms of management or potential management of obesity in adolescents, it is important to know not only the views of the caregivers and the doctors, but also the views of the adolescents themselves. And in this regard, we have information from the Action Teams Global Survey that was conducted in 10 different countries, going from Mexico and Colombia in America, the United Kingdom, Spain and Italy in Europe, Turkey and Saudi Arabia in uh, the Middle East, South Korea and Taiwan in Asia, and finally also in Australia. In this uh, survey, 5,275 adolescents with obesity and uh, with an age in between 12 to 17 years were included. And there was a lot of information, but the most relevant for this presentation is that the top three reasons why teenagers wanted to lose weight according to themselves were that they wanted to be more fit or to be in better shape, they were not happy with their own weight, and they wanted to be more confident and uh, had a better uh, feeling of themselves. Also, uh, in this survey, the top three reasons preventing teenagers from losing weight, according to themselves, were assessed, and they included not being able to control their hunger, the lack of motivation, 
and that they like it to eat unhealthy foods. And considering directly the barriers and facilitators of weight management in adolescence, and focusing on the barriers, they were classified as individual, interpersonal, and institutional. And maybe the most relevant were sedentary lifestyle, poor uh, food choices, and low nutritional knowledge. And to conclude with the presentation, it is important to consider that when including adolescents in programs to treat this condition, the um, decision should be um, personalized. And, for example, in this uh, study, we observe that uh, social insecurity was a risk factor of dropout because this was an intervention made in groups of adolescents. So this means that we should personalize the treatment of and the management of the adolescents. And as a summary, we could uh, say that prevalence of obesity among adolescents have increased in the recent decades along with the prevalence of weight-related diseases. Obesity in adolescents is associated with long-term risks to develop cardiometabolic diseases, leading to an expected reduction on life expectancy. Early identification of the adolescent population with obesity in daily practice is important. And finally, it is crucial to start conversation on weight management in adolescent patients and work together with the patient to reduce and eliminate long-term consequences of obesity. Thank you very much for your attention. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Aaron Kelly. I'm a professor of pediatrics and I co-direct the Center for Pediatric Obesity Medicine at the University of Minnesota in the United States. To set the frame, I think we want to sort of determine what is our treatment goal? Well, overall, conceptually, we want to durably reduce excess adiposity. And I would argue that if we are successful in treating adolescent obesity, we really treat lifelong obesity. Although in adults we know that 3 to 5% weight reduction is considered clinically meaningful, we really don't have a firm grasp on that for adolescents yet. However, most of the literature uh, suggests that the bar may need to be a bit higher, maybe somewhere around 8 to 10% BMI reduction. But of course, that's going to vary by patient. So, for example, a patient who comes to see you who has been gaining weight very rapidly even slowing down their weight gain might be an important and laudable clinical goal. When we talk about obesity treatments, we wanna think about the entire spectrum. And that spectrum starts with lifestyle modification therapy that includes dietary, physical activity, and behavioral counseling. Back in 2017, the United States Preventive Services Task Force put together a recommendation. They did a meta-analysis and systematic review of the scientific evidence and we're wondering what is the dose or frequency of contact required with lifestyle modification therapy that's associated with clinically meaningful BMI reduction in children and adolescents. They showed that the minimum dose or frequency is 26 hours of contact over a period of a year. And in fact, 52 hours of contact was what was shown to be the most effective. When we take a step back and think about the practical aspects of this, 
26 to 52 hours of lifestyle therapy to reduce BMI is a big ask of patients and healthcare providers and health systems. All of this should be considered in the backdrop that fewer than 50% of adolescents with obesity who are referred to specialty care actually enroll in treatment. And high attrition rates, sometimes as high as 50%, uh, are common. So dropout rates occur very commonly. It should come as no surprise that lifestyle therapy alone may not be sufficient for many adolescents who struggle with their obesity. They face headwinds from the obesogenic environment and also from their underlying biology. We know from the scientific literature that even modest amounts of weight reduction can lead to real changes in the underlying physiology, such that it enhances food palatability, it upregulates cravings, it changes a whole host of hormones related to appetite and satiety, and also for most individuals who lose weight, um, their resting energy expenditure actually goes down. They become more metabolically efficient. All of these things work together to make it really hard for individuals to lose weight and keep it off over time. If we think about some of the unique factors of adolescence, we know there are complex relationships between changes in height velocity and energy expenditure. If we think about the developing female, uh, undergoing reproductive priming, it would make sense that their body would more vigorously defend their fat mass. We know that physical activity levels tend to decline during the teenage years, that executive functions are not fully mature, and the adolescent time period is characterized by heightened reward responsivity, all of these things making it very difficult for some adolescents to properly manage their weight. So let's talk about pharmacotherapy and the rationale why we might want to use anti-obesity medications. Well, one is this can help fill the treatment gap between lifestyle modification therapy and more intensive treatments like metabolic and bariatric surgery. And anti-obesity medications can directly push back against some of the biological changes in the context of weight loss. So these medications can enhance satiety, reduce appetite, and reduce cravings as well. I think anti-obesity medications also will have an important role in enhancing weight loss maintenance. And importantly, it provides this opportunity to scale up treatment to meet the needs of all of the teens that need help with their weight management. A number of studies have been done just in the last few years uh, studying different anti-obesity medications in adolescents with obesity. One such medication is loreglutide 3 milligrams. It belongs to the glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 receptor agonist class. It was originally developed to treat type 2 diabetes, but also is important for weight loss. Loreglutide is administered once per day in a subcutaneous injection. And it works by acting on the GLP-1 receptors in the hypothalamus to reduce appetite. Um, it slows the motility of food through the gut, enhancing satiety, and also works directly, centrally, on the hindbrain to enhance satiety. We performed a study a few years ago looking at the effects of loreglutide 3 milligrams in adolescents with obesity. And as you can see on the figure, we showed effectiveness compared to placebos, such that at one year, there was about a 4.5% placebo-subtracted BMI reduction. We found that the side effect profile was very much in line with what's been shown in the adult loreglutide trials. Gastrointestinal side effects, side effects were the most commonly reported. 
Another medication that has been studied recently is the combination of phentermine and topiramate. This is an orally administered medication, which comes in two doses. Phentermine works by suppressing appetite. It's a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Topiramate is a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor and also has GABA modulating properties, all to reduce food intake. This study was published just in 2022, and this slide shows you the effectiveness in terms of BMI reduction in adolescents with obesity. The mid-dose compared to placebo reduced BMI at one year of treatment um, to over 8%, and the top dose reduced BMI by more than 10% on average. Importantly, uh, HDL cholesterol went up, triglycerides went down, and there was no increase in systolic blood pressure. In fact, it was decreased by about two to three millimeters of mercury. In terms of safety, the relative incidence of all side effects or adverse events were relatively similar across the groups. There were no clinically relevant differences in mental health outcomes, um, in cognition. There were no adverse events related to drug abuse, dependence, or withdrawal, and importantly, no differences across groups in bone age or bone health. Finally, semaglutide 2.4 milligrams was studied recently in adolescents with obesity. Similar to liraglutide, it belongs to the GLP-1 receptor agonist class. Um, semaglutide is a once a week subcutaneous um, injection. Recent results have been released of the semaglutide trial in adolescents, and what we showed was an almost 17% placebo subtracted BMI reduction on average. And importantly, we showed uh, improvements in hemoglobin A1C, ALT, trends toward improvements in blood pressure, and then in terms of the lipoprotein profile, improvements in total HDL, LDL, VLDL cholesterol, and triglycerides. Now, most important to the patients themselves and the families, we showed improvements in quality of life. Uh, primarily driven by improvements in the physical comfort score. And similarly to the liraglutide trial, we showed that the side effect profile um, was by and large in line with what's been shown in the adult trials of semaglutide, that GI side effects um, are the most commonly cited and those tended to occur early in treatment during the titration phase, but was well tolerated overall. As I wrap up, I want to make a few broader points about the treatment of adolescent obesity, and that is one, one-dimensional treatments are unlikely to work, particularly over the long term. All options for obesity treatment, everything ranging from structured lifestyle and uh, modification therapy, pharmacotherapy, and bariatric surgery should be offered to patients if medically eligible. We need to recognize that obesity is a chronic and relapsing disease and that durable remission of obesity is likely going to require sustained and uninterrupted treatment. And over the course of years and decades of treatment, add-on therapy should be expected. When we withdraw anti-obesity medication therapy from patients, participants, they gain weight very rapidly. This is a long-term treatment proposition. So as I wrap up, I want to just emphasize again that clinical goals for obesity treatment are going to vary by patient, Lifestyle therapy is critically important, but by itself is often insufficient to reduce weight, at least durably. Strong biological factors make weight loss extremely difficult, particularly for adolescents. We have new anti-obesity medications that are now available for adolescents. And finally, obesity should be treated as a chronic, refractory, and relapsing disease.
Thank you for joining me today. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.